Our first scripture reading this morning will be from Ezekiel chapter 22. We'll read from verses 23 through 31. Ezekiel chapter 22, beginning at verse 23 to the end of the chapter, and then we will go to our sermon text in Hebrews chapter 2. Brothers and sisters, this is the very word of God given to us. Let's give our careful attention to him. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to her, you are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion, tearing the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have violated my law. And profane my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths, so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves, tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people and to get dishonest gain. Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord had not spoken, the people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Therefore I have poured out my indignation on them, I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own head, says the Lord God. And then if you would, turn to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, just before the book of James, just after Titus and Philemon, comes the book of Hebrews. And we have been working our way through this book in the evenings. Some of you are aware of that. Many of you have been to those, uh, those worship services. I'm going to read for context from chapter uh, 2, verse 1, through our text, verse 9. And this morning and this evening are very much to be taken together. So as you'll notice, the text is the same for both. And so please do plan to return and hear the fullness of this text as it's expounded today. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast in every transgression and disobedience, received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man, that you are mindful of him, or the son of man, that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor." And set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now, 
we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, you have told us to seek your face, and here we are gathered together today asking that you, O Lord, would reveal yourself to us by your grace, through your word and spirit. May you cause us to see Jesus today with the eyes of faith that you have given to your children. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Where do great needs come from? The man that has fallen off of a ship into the ocean. He has the great need of a life preserver, of a rope, because he has a great problem. If he's not saved soon, he will drown. The man who is in the desert, dying of thirst, has the great need of water because his body is quickly dehydrating. Great needs arise from great problems. And the great need of man today is that we would have a mediator before God. And the reason for that is because of the great problem of sin. We have sin by nature. There is none righteous, no, not one. In iniquity we were conceived in the wombs of our mothers, We are totally depraved. There's nothing good in us, sinful by nature, born in sin. But then we go on and are born, and then we sin by activity, don't we? No one needs to teach us to sin. We just start doing it from our very youth, and we go on doing it all the days of our lives. We live among a people and a nation that is given over to sin, calling evil good and good evil, and how many there are that follow their leaders in that way. The great need of man is a mediator because of the great problem of man, and that is his sin. Because of sin, God has poured out his wrath upon man. God has poured out his just fury on us because, as he told us of his goodness and his ways, we shook our fist, as it were, against God and went and did everything that was good in our own eyes. We read a few minutes ago from Ezekiel chapter 22, And there is that account of sin among the people of God. The prophets, what were they doing? Lying to the people. Well, the people in return were practicing all manner of law-breaking and abomination in the sight of God. The princes, the leaders of the people were devouring the people themselves. And so God said there at the end of that chapter that he went about and made a great search He looked for a man because the wall had been broken down. The wall that separated man from the justice and the wrath of God, it had broken. There was a gap in the wall. The wrath of God was coming upon man for his sin, and God searched. He made a great search, looking for the man that would stand in the gap between him and the people that had sinned. And as he looked out on that wall that was broken down, and he looked in the gap, there was no one, no one to stand there. And so the wrath of God was poured out upon sinners for their unrighteousness. 
Brothers and sisters, God has not left all mankind to perish in that estate of sin and misery. But he has given to them, even to all who call upon his name, salvation through the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who is the mediator between God and man. This morning, God calls us by this text to consider Christ the mediator. But let's put it this way. Not just to think of Christ the mediator, but to behold him as he is. To behold Christ with eyes of faith today as he's revealed in his word in this way. The mediator between God and men. Well, let's consider this under the first heading of the mediator's purpose. What does a mediator do? We confessed it just a few minutes ago, but it's good for us to be reminded that a mediator in its most basic meaning is that the mediator will be one who comes between, one who comes in the middle of two parties that are diametrically opposed to one another. That's what a mediator does. It does not mean that sometimes we think of mediators as arbitrators. They look at the problems between two sides that are opposed. They try to get some compromises from both, and they end up somewhere in the middle. That's not what a mediator does. The mediator comes between, considers, as it were, both sides, and makes rulings. And as Jesus Christ is the mediator, he comes and he sees the justice of the wrath of God upon a sinful and wayward people, and then there he comes between the people and God. The mediator has three goals, to make peace, to reconcile, and to confirm a promise. To make peace, to reconcile, and to confirm a promise. Children, you could think of a mediator in this way. You've probably experienced this yourselves, and certainly I did when I was a child. If I was fighting with another sibling, what would our parents do? Our parents come in between the fighting siblings and seek to make peace, to reconcile, and to resolve the matter that led to the dispute in the first place. Adults, think about contracts that you've entered into. In business, it's very common for there to be a mediation clause, that if there is a dispute between the two parties to the contract, that rather than go to court, they will agree on a mediator who will come in the middle of them and arbitrate between them. We see examples of mediation throughout the Scripture. There was that time, surely many of you will remember, in the book of Genesis, that Joseph, the son, the favorite son of Jacob, was having those dreams and telling them to his brothers, and his brothers, his brothers hated him for it. And so one day, as he was wearing that coat that his father gave him of many colors, he went out to see what his brothers were doing, and they saw that dreamer, And they were filled with wrath against him, and so they were going to kill him. And they put him in a pit to prepare to do that. They were going to kill their own brother. And in stepped one brother, Reuben, who went between Joseph and the other brothers. And he came up with this solution, not great, but far better than murder. Let's sell him to slavery and send him into Egypt, which they did. There was one who came between those that were at odds and mediated. Or what about Solomon? You remember Solomon had great wisdom. There was given to him wisdom like nobody else ever had before or after him. It was a special gift from God. And as the one that received such wisdom, he was a good mediator. 
And you remember those two harlots who had two children came to him that night that they had both been asleep with their children in their beds. One of them had rolled over on their newborn and smothered that child. One of the children had died. And the one who rolled over on her child, she went to her friend who was sleeping in her bed and she took the living child from her friend. Well, now they were at odds with one another because the mother knows her own child and knew that something false had happened. And they went to Solomon. And there was Solomon with these two warring women arguing over the one living child. And Solomon mediated in this way, take a sword, cut the child in two and give half to each. Knowing with wisdom that the mothers whose child it was would much rather her child be raised by another woman then killed there in the palace of Solomon. He mediated between the two, and as you know the rest of that story, the living child was given to her, his rightful mother. But what about between God and man? We see in the Old Testament the example of Moses, who's often standing as a mediator between God and the people who are constantly falling in sin. I'll give you one example. There is in Numbers chapter 16, the great sin of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. They looked at Moses and Aaron and they said, who gave you such power to rule over us? And they rebelled not against Moses and Aaron, but against God who placed them in their position. And Moses came up with this solution under the inspiration of God. We will burn incense to the Lord and the incense that is accepted by God, that will tell the answer. And you know the story that happened there. God was heavily displeased, to put it lightly, with Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And in his displeasure, he determined this. He told Aaron and Moses, get away from all Israel. I'm going to destroy them, and I'll raise up for you another people. All of them are going to be destroyed. And Moses and Aaron fall on their faces before God and say, Lord, will you destroy a whole people for the sins of one? They mediated for the people. In that instance, they came between God and the people who were about to receive his wrath. There was, as it were at that time, in this sense, in this instance, there was a man to stand in the gap in the wall. Now, it was not for salvation, but for that one instance of the wrath of God about to come. The very next day, the people who saw the ground open up and swallow Dathan, Abiram, and Korah, and all their families, 250 souls, the ground opened and closed on them. It swallowed them up. The people that saw that the very next day, they were grumbling against Moses and Aaron again. And God sent a plague on the people. And Moses said, the plague has gone out. Run out there, Moses, or run out there, Aaron, and put incense in between the people and the plague. And as they went out and did that, the plague was stopped after 14,500 people died. A mediator, one who comes between. We see this throughout the scripture. There are examples that we could go on at some time. But the point is made clear. One who comes between two parties at war. And then the mediator does this. A minor point at this time in Hebrews, but as we continue on in Hebrews, it will become a much greater point. And that is that the mediator stands as surety for his people. Stands as surety. It's a term that's sometimes used in corporate world today, but not a common term in our literature today, very common hundreds of years ago. But here's what a surety does. A surety performs duties and suffers penalties that someone else was supposed to receive. That's what a surety does. A surety performs duties and suffers penalties 
that someone else was supposed to receive. In other words, they step into the place of another. They step into the place of a guilty party. And here is man who sinned against God. We have not kept the law perfectly. We've broken it in every way. And there is God who in his justice and his holiness demands payment. And the payment is death. And there is Jesus, the surety, who comes in and stands in the place of sinners, suffering the wrath of God due to them and living perfectly for them so that no longer is the wrath of God against them, but the loving kindness and mercy of God is upon them. And so the question here, do you have such a mediator for your great problem of sin? Consider then Christ the mediator and his work. The mediator was promised long ago, wasn't he? Way back in the book of Genesis, in the third chapter, when Eve sinned, and Adam sinned against God. And God told them that in the day that they sinned, they would surely die. And Adam and Eve are not here because they surely died. But as they sinned against God, God told them that he would be sending someone. The seed of the woman who would be born, and who would crush that serpent, the devil's head. And he did it. That was promised long ago, and in the fullness of time, as we confessed a few moments ago, God sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, to take on that which he did not have before, and that was to take on human flesh. And he did it. He is God incarnate. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. He was born some 2,000 years ago. And as he was born, or even as he was conceived in the womb of his mother Mary, he was made, as our text says, a little lower than the angels. What does this mean, that Jesus was made a little lower than the angels? But this is what the text tells us. Well, he was made lower in this way. He was made positionally lower. He was placed lower than the angels. Not in creation. Jesus is begotten, not made. He's from all eternity to all eternity, the Lord God. But he was made in his incarnation positionally lower than the angels. How so? He could now die. The king of glory, the second person of the Trinity, in taking on flesh, he could now die. The angels couldn't die. Spiritual beings, they never died. And so Jesus is made a little lower than the angels so that he could suffer death for the sins of his people, so that he could come between holy, righteous God and sinful, dying, unholy men and stand before the wrath of God and bear it for himself, on himself. And this he did. And so, brothers and sisters, what the text is teaching us, and certainly from Hebrews 1, if you know that portion of Scripture, the text is teaching us that the mediator, Jesus Christ, is God. The mediator, Jesus Christ, is God. At the end of Hebrews chapter 1, for those that weren't here when we went through it, did you know the names for Jesus that are given in the Old Testament? Son of God, God the Son, Yahweh, Jehovah God. That's who the mediator is. Jehovah has come in the flesh and he has dwelt among us. The mediator is God. The mediator is God that he might bear the wrath of God for our sins. 
Surely, maybe a perfect man, if there was such a thing, a perfect man could die for the sins of one other. But no perfect man, and there never has been one, no perfect man could suffer and bear the wrath of God for more than one other man. But Jesus is no mere man. Jesus is the God-man. Jesus is the Word that became flesh. He is the one who made all things for whom all things were made. He's the one that became man. The mediator is God. Therefore, Jesus Christ, the mediator, can sustain in his death on the cross the full wrath of God that is due to me and to you for our sins, because he's God. The mediator is also man. That was the objection of Hebrews chapter uh, 2 and verse 8 that we considered last time. There was this objection. How can all these great things be said about a man? We don't see a man ruling and conquering. Oh, but the writer says, but we see Jesus. Jesus, who is fully God, he is man. The mediator is man. He represents man as man. He suffered as man. He was tempted as man so that he can know all of our infirmities that we're tempted with. But yet as he was tempted, he never sinned, for he was perfect in all his ways, in all his words, in all his deeds tempted, yet without sin. And so, the one who would reconcile God and man is himself, God and man, in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, is, he, he comes this way, a little lower than the angels for this reason, that he might do his great work of mediation his great work of redemption, that he might die on the cross for sinners. This is the reason that he was made lower than the angels, for the very suffering of death. Think about that. The eternal Son of God coming into the world for this reason only, that he might suffer death for his people and bring many sons to glory. This he did. The mediator died. And in his death on the cross, for which he came, he did three things. Jesus Christ brought peace between those that were warring with one another. God in his righteousness had his wrath upon the people. Man in his sin and hatred of God had rebelled against him. And in the blood of Christ and in the death of Christ, the mediator brought peace between God and man. That's the reason that his name is this, the Prince of Peace. Through his payment, he did more, though. He not only brought peace between two parties that were at war. What happens when two parties come to peace? Well, if they were at war with one another, they're probably going to be cautious in questioning one another for quite some time. After World War I, after there was that armistice and that peace treaty, Germany had to do all sorts of things for the Allies. Right? There were all sorts of reparations and land barrier changes, and people were still at odds with one another, but they weren't killing one another anymore. Jesus did more than bring us to peace with God. Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross for which he came, he brought reconciliation between God and man. He brought friendship between God and man. And he did something else. He ratified a promise he made many years ago in the garden. When he said that he would bring the seed of the woman to crush Satan's head, he absolutely did it. 
When he said, I will be their God and they will be my people, this is the new covenant that I make with you, he did it. He made that promise certain with his own blood as he died on the cross one time forever. This is what the mediator does. Therefore, brothers and sisters, the sins of the children of God are fully paid to the uttermost. There's no more payment that needs to be made for those that have faith in Jesus Christ and for all who have faith in Jesus Christ. As the writer of Hebrews will go on to say, therefore we can boldly enter the throne room of grace because we have a faithful high priest and advocate and mediator, Jesus Christ, who went before. His payment has been accepted because the Father has said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Is the payment of price sufficient, really, truly, for my sins? So that when I stand before God on that great day, that Jesus Christ's righteousness will be sufficient and accepted before the Father. Have you remembered the words of God the Father? That he told those disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, even as he spoke at the baptism of Jesus, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Can the Father be so pleased with his Son as to cast aside those whom the Son purchased? It's impossible. Every single person for whom Jesus shed his blood is brought to everlasting glory by the Father because Jesus Christ came between God and man and paid that penalty. Well, we must consider the enemies of the mediator because there are many false mediators that are presented to us that would desire nothing other than to take each of you and me away from the one and only mediator between God and man and bring us to counterfeits. What are those other mediators so-called? Well, there are dead mediators, If you have any background in the Roman Catholic Church or Eastern Orthodox churches or Coptic Church religion, like many of us here have that background, who is called upon for help? Mary, Joseph, Peter, all manner of dead saints are called out to over and over and over again. Have you ever seen the beads that are called rosary beads That many Roman Catholics, if they're faithful to their religion, they will use often. And what do they do? Hail Mary. Hail Mary. Very similar to what we read in Jeremiah. Hail to the Queen of Heaven. They have brought up another mediator, one who is dead, and have tried to get to God through a dead mediator. It's impossible. There is no way to the Father through a dead mediator. What about live mediators? What about the Pope of Rome? or the bishop of Alexandria, or the patriarchs that are the leaders of the Eastern Orthodox religions. Can you pray to them and find help in your hour of need? There's no help in them. You can wait in line and in great crowds in the Philippines, or if the Pope would come to Atlanta, I'm sure there would be millions of people lining the streets of Atlanta, like when he went to D.C. and when he went to New York City. And there they thought that if they just looked at him, if they just, wow, if they could even touch his robe, what a blessing they would receive. Treating him as if he were Jesus, the Son of God, who when his robe was touched, a woman became clean. That's what's given to these living mediators, so-called. And yet no grace comes from them. There is no grace to come from those who are alive and will soon die and be forgotten. 
What about signs as mediators? Here's another counterfeit. You have dead mediators, living mediators, and then signs as mediators. Some people view the sacraments as mediators. This is also very common in Roman Catholic theology, the sacerdotalism or the sacramentalism. This idea that there is actual, that, that God actually is saving people, saving people by the sacraments, so that to take the bread and the wine in the Mass, because in the Mass Jesus is sacrificed again, that by taking that there is salvation bestowed on the individual who takes it. Signs as mediators. Oh, we confess, don't we? That we see Jesus even through the sacrament that he's given us as a means of his grace, but we don't say the elements. And God forbid that we should ever say that the elements are grace themselves. There is one who is full of grace and truth. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, and there is no other in heaven or on earth that is full of grace and truth but Jesus Christ, the mediator. Oh, but then there's objects. Objects that we use as mediators. Crucifixes, special charms, jewelry, shrines, idols, beads have already been mentioned. How many people, even Christians, will they not kiss the cross that is around their neck as if it's doing something for them? Maybe we don't even think about those things very much. But we must ask ourselves questions around all these different mediators that the devil loves to put before us, some of them even having good objects and good ideas to them, but we think that we can draw near to God by them. What does the Scripture say? Are there mediators many? As we look out and wonder about these, this great salvation that's been wrought by Jesus Christ, and we say, what is man that you're mindful of him? Do we look out and see Mary? Do we look out and see a pope? No. We see Jesus. It's Jesus that's there and Jesus alone. That's what the text says. We do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus and none other. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. There is one God. And one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. It's Jesus' blood and righteousness that brings us to salvation, that brings us near to the Father, and there is no other, nor can there ever be. There is no other mediator presented here in Hebrews 2, verse 9. Only Jesus, Christ alone, the mediator between God and man. Therefore, let no one seek to find God or come to God through any other way but through Christ Jesus. And may all seek to come to God through Christ Jesus, because he is a sufficient mediator. There's no need for any other mediator. He's both God and man. What could another mediator do? He saves to the uttermost. What could anyone else do? So that brings us to our final heading, and that is the mediator and you. Christ was made lower than the angels to die and make peace with God for his children. Has he made peace for you? Christ, by his sufferings and death, reconciled a people to himself. Are you reconciled to God this morning? Christ ratified that great covenant of making a people to be his own children. Are you a child of God this morning? Some will say, oh, I love the doctrine of the mediation of Jesus Christ. I teach it. That is not the question this morning. The question is not, do you love this doctrine? The question is, is Christ your mediator? 
Because there are many who on that day will say, Lord, Lord, I taught the doctrine of the mediation of Christ. And the Lord will say, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. Is Christ your mediator? Are you a child of God by adoption into his family? Has he purchased you with his own blood? Oh, you might rightly say, how can I be a child of God? And I hope that that answer burns into your mind night and day. For believer and unbeliever, repent therefore and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's the call of the gospel from beginning to end. That's the work of Christ from beginning to end. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be born again. Born of the Spirit, born into the family of God. All the benefits of Christ, the mediator, will be applied to you. But to none else, whoever would sit there and think, I love this, but I'm not going to repent. There remains no mediator for you. The wall is still broken. The wrath of God is poured out. Whoever says, I hate my sin, but I don't know if I can trust in Christ alone for salvation. The wall is still broken down. The wrath of God is poured out. No one stands in the middle for you. You must repent of your sins and believe Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you will see the wall is built up. The Lord will look out upon those sinners who have sinned against him. And he looks in the gap in the wall. And no more is it empty. But there is one standing in the gap. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Him we see. Him the Father sees. And the Father sees us through him. So that we who are clothed in filthy rags like Joshua the high priest in that Old Testament prophecy. Those filthy rags are removed from us and we who have been filthy in our sins by the blood of the mediator Jesus Christ to redeem the people for himself. We're clothed with those pure white garments of the righteousness of Christ. That's where we should desire to be. Not continuing in the ways of the world but continuing and abiding in the Lord our God forever. There's another word here for the children of God. For indeed, the call to repentance and faith is the lifelong call of the Christian, isn't it? Just as much as it is for the unbeliever, it is for the Christian. Our lives are a constant, uh, a constant repentance of sin and pressing on in the faith that Christ has given to us. But I want to give another encouragement to those that are in Christ from this teaching. With what boldness can you now come into the throne room of the Father since you have a mediator who is Christ the Lord? He's God and man. He's in our very nature, and he is the person of God. We have boldness to enter directly into the throne room of heaven. We need not go to any of these false mediators that can't get us there, though the devil promises us they can. We have direct, immediate access to the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. What confidence we can have that as we cry out to him as his children, he hears us. What confidence we can have that as we plead with him for things needful in our life, that he will give to us whatsoever things are good. What confidence we have that we are reconciled to the Father, even as the hymn writer says, as we will soon sing, my God is reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child. I shall no longer fear. With confidence I now draw nigh. With confidence I now draw nigh. And Father, Abba, Father, cry.
There is no one that can sing those words truthfully from the heart, but those who have Jesus Christ in them, and they are in Christ. And by him coming in between, building up that wall, standing in the gap, sustaining the wrath of God for his children, living perfectly for them, we have peace with God and confidence before his very throne. But now, the writer of Hebrews says, we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. Praise be to the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we do thank you for being our mediator. We exalt and praise you for the great work that you have done. You are a great God and therefore greatly to be praised. You would have been wholly just to leave us to our sin and the just wrath of God for our sin. But what wondrous love you have shown to us to come and bear the iniquity of all your children. O Lord, we ask that you would grant to us great boldness to ask great things of you, our Father. For all power in heaven and earth has been given to you. And so we ask that you would surely do all those things that we ask according to your will for your glory until we shall see you in that glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.